Greetings. Welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff, and guess who's here? It's Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. And this time around, we got a no-holds-barred look at the second careers of wrestlers. Uh, this is a, a topic that when you go visit the Mount Rushmore Podcast website and hit the tag wrestler or wrestling, it'll come up with all the many other times we've talked about wrestlers and wrestling. If, or if when I, you make the tag. When you make the tag. I got to take <laughs> the back. I got to go tag everything. That'll be my New Year's resolution. Um, it, we'll, we'll need a team to make the tag. A tag team, if you will. Uh and um, these are wrestlers who tagged out of one career and into another. And Richard is going to be the first person to let us know his choice. All right. So my first choice is one of the more surprising ones when it happened. And that is Jesse the Body Ventura becoming Jesse the Governor Ventura. Also on my list. <laughs> All right. Well, it has to be. I mean, yeah. <laughs> one of the weirdest... Uh, I mean... We'll never have somebody as unqualified as Jesse Ventura become. No, <laughs> we reach high political office in this country again. Now, <laughs> 1998, I was working at the newspaper at the Orange County Register, and election night we had the uh, coverage up on in the newsroom on the TVs, and Jesse Ventura was not expected to win. He was a third party candidate. He had been he had a lot less money than his op- his opponents. And even in the polls, he was expected at best to finish second. Um, and I just remember the news flash coming on the ticker that said Jesse, and they may have even in quote said the body, Ventura, projected to win Minnesota governor's seat. And my jaw just dropped. <laughs> I mean, of all the wrestlers, of all even the wrestlers to win political office, the guy with the feather boa, <laughs> that guy. Now, I have some friends who live in Minnesota, and according to them, he was actually a pretty decent um, he was a pretty decent governor, kind of in that same way that Schwarzenegger was, where even if you're a Democrat, you're like, yeah, he could have been worse, that sort of thing. I read um, that he had um uh really screwed up like the states um budget surplus and um uh wasn't all that great but he wasn't like offensive in the way that like like trump was i don't think he was trying to kill anybody i just think he was just like he's kind of a dope big kind of a well slash green party guy that was like go do your own thing which i think a lot of a lot of people really caught into that kind of idea of like oh yeah well why not why not this huge muscular guy ex-marine yelling at me uh okay well that's fine i mean yes he did get into office with a three million dollar budget surplus and he did leave with a 4.2 million dollar budget deficit (laughs) but you know you know math gets a little fuzzy sometimes and eh, who knows but he wasn't as i i guess i just remember people thinking that that minnesota might actually be we might have to sell Minnesota to the Canadians by the end of his mm. his term. That's how bad things were going to get. So even mild incompetence, I think, is is better than what I remember people thinking it was going to be at the time. You know, him is him. Go ahead, Rich, uh, Jeff. Oh, um, I moved to Minnesota in in fall of 1998. So this oh, is the backdrop of my arrival. Um, what I tell people, I think I've, I know I've said you it had to change your nickname before. from uh, Jeff the Body Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I think it's um, 
Yeah. So I'm when I arrived, the other third party was Fancy Ray McCloney. So comparatively, Jesse Ventura was normal <laughs> compared to Fancy Ray McCloney, uh, who was quote unquote the people's champion. So I I I remember at the time thinking on the spectrum there was already a uh more outlier of a of of an of a candidate in the in a third party um but what was goofy about it is um i moved to california in 2004 and oh say when i moved to in 98 to um to minnesota the number one newscaster was paul major uh and he was like the david brinkley of minnesota and the governor became Jesse Ventura. When I moved to California, the number one newscaster was Paul Major, who had moved to ca- California. <laughs> and Arnold Schwarzenegger was <laughs> the, the governor. So the cast of The Running Man was following me around wherever I went. But uh, the <laughs> the time I got to, I got to actually direct uh, Jesse Ventura in a um, a kind of PSA video for libraries or something like really? that. And, and this was, yeah, this was... This was the, of the time. It was a Matrix uh, spoof, so I'm, we know what time this was. And he was absolutely a very um, uh, authoritative, gu- gubernatorial <laughs> type of guy, you know. Uh, but you could still see that he had kind of his movie roots because, um, you know, he uh, uh, would toss around, you know, movie set terms and stuff like that. But when he wasn't... After he cut his hair, after he took off the boa and all that kind of stuff, he was a pretty, pretty just stoic kind of kind of guy. And uh, a makeup artist who worked in Minnesota, um, speaking of like the the Jesse Arnold connection, said that he he was Arnold's makeup artist on um, Batman Forever or whatever, where Mister Fee was Mister Freeze, and he uh, he That's said at at that point Schwarzenegger said if that idiot can do it. I can do it. <laughs> and so let's just say Jesse was an inspiration. And just to, to, to circle back to our topic here in terms of being a wrestler, second career, this was yeah. really his third career at this point. Cause as you mentioned, he had a fairly distinguished, I mean, from action movie guy standards, yeah. uh, acting career. And I think it all goes back to the fact that he was as a wrestler, he was known as a, he was known more for his ability to cut a promo oh. than he was for his wrestling ability, I would say. And that's why after he got injured in the early 80s, early to mid 80s and really couldn't wrestle anymore, they transitioned him to be a commentator and he would, became one of the best commentators of his era. And I think I just wonder if that how much that plays a part in being able to speak, extra, you know, kind of off the cuff at political events, debates, things like that, just being being good on the microphone and being able to cut a promo and being able to get yourself in you know, these back and forth situations with when you're interacting with other wrestlers where you don't have a script and it's all basically a form of improv. And I just wonder how much that actually helps you as a politician as you're running for office and going through your motions as, as governor to be able to do that. Richard, do you have a, um, a certain um, demon from hell type character as mayor on your list as well? No, I do not. Okay. Well, uh, this isn't my second choice, but I want to bring up Kane, 
who is oh, a wrestler yeah. who has also like the uh, mayor of like Knox County, Tennessee. And I love the idea of these guys, uh, Jesse and the body Ventura included, where they must get questions from people who don't know it's all fake, right? Or like from <laughs> a candidate that they're opposing who like starts questioning like the things either they did in the ring or like with Kane, like, do you really want a governor that's put someone in a fiery casket and like <laughs> tried to burn them alive? <laughs> and like, like the guy just, you know, the stand up there and um, oh, what was his name? Glenn Jacobs to be like, you know, that's not real, right? I mean, there's got to be someone that for specifically for like Jesse Ventura that like believes whatever they have seen in the ring or like the feather boa step or like whatever is like, no, I remember I saw him in 1979 and he, he poked this guy's in the eye. And we can't trust this guy. He's going yeah. to go behind this. He, you know, I, I love that idea that there are people that are just <laughs> clinging on that will never, that will never not know. Um, with these big, big personality wrestlers turned politician guys. Well, do you think Reagan opened the door for some mm, of these? Sure. Because Reagan yeah, was probably. ultimately, uh, I think Reagan's image as a film star was a very athletic one. Uh, Newt Rockne, all American, you mm. know, that, that kind of, and it wasn't necessarily like, a, like Gary Cooper, um, as Lou, Lou Gehrig, you know, had this kind of somber kind of mentality, but I think, I think Reagan had that just kind of fresh scrubbed kind of um, big, big, you know, Hulkin kind of f football kind of dude identity. And so I almost feel like that was a step in I the direction. Just, I think there's just an aspect of just name recognition. I mean, you know, God, six years ago, we were joking about Trump just because everybody knew his name, you know, and yeah. a certain percentage of people probably voted for him because he they recognize the name or the brand identity. I mean, how many people still write in Mickey Mouse or whatever mm. nonsense they're going to do. But if you see a name, you're not offended by said person. You see Jesse the Body Ventura or just Jesse Ventura and you recognize that name and you're like, I don't really care. I'm going to vote. I mean, yeah. is that 5,000 votes in a, you know, statewide? Is it however many that may put you over? I don't know what his, uh, what his, uh, winning percentage was, but there, there must be just, I know that name, I'll vote for that name versus ran, you know, you know, Carl Smith. That doesn't mean anything to me. That, that's yeah. whoever, you know, I think that for a lot of people like that, fuck uh, Carl Smith. Yeah, he should, well, he shouldn't have put thrown that guy in that fiery casket. No, he shouldn't have done that. You know, Carl, the, the demon. <laughs> I think that there are just the celebrity in whatever, um, whatever venue they become a celebrity can turn into political um, juice. Yeah, I think definitely uh, uh, Jesse predates, because I think he might have even had a radio show. I know he had one after his mm -hmm. go uh, governorship, but uh, predates in a way the Joe Rogan um, and, well, the emergence of the, the kind of right-wing or almost white fundamentalist kind of talk personality as a person who is purporting to represent the anti-intellectual or this this person who feels outside of the mainstream and the person who maybe have a kind of anti-intellectual bent um and i definitely definitely think that was the direction that the venture or something with venture was was 
capitalizing on. You know, I saw Ventura campaigning at the state fair. So like the state fair is like the great Minnesota get together where people from all the rural areas of this huge state come together. And you need, to, like Richard said, you need to, to get over. Like you need to really um, get over on that crowd. And, and these other politicians with their ties and their rolled up sleeves and their little brochures and things like that, you can't compete with Jesse Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> in in that ring was Kane on your list, Michael? No, no, no. I I, okay. I thought uh, God, I just have one politician on here, but I just I I kept thinking of like the parallels of personality and uh, the parallels of um, just idiots uh, who believe that what they see in the ring is what yeah what is real life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kane. Uh, when when doing my little bit of research, he's got an Allstate. He and his wife own an Allstate agency, and I can really see him um, threatening people like with insurance that might cover, <laughs> cover things that <laughs> one doesn't normally encounter on a day to day basis. You like, need fire insurance. Yeah. No, I'm serious. You need fire insurance. Double hand, double hand axe chops, uh, yeah. lariats, uh, atomic knee sidewalk slams. You never know when an Oklahoma roll is going to come out. Of <laughs> Okay, well, um, that uh, was also your one of your choices, Jesse Ventura. So, Michael, what is your your second choice? My second, and this was initially my first, and I think this was the, just the kind of the no doubt about it. Uh, Dwayne, in parentheses, oh, yeah. The Rock, yeah. not in parentheses, in quotation marks, The Rock Johnson, because I think he has been the most successful of all like wrestlers turned actors. I don't think he's really gone back to wrestling. Uh, in a heavy handed way, the way that a lot of people do, he's done a couple of like stints, but I would say that at this point in his career, he's probably as famous for being a action movie star as he is, as he was for being a wrestler, you know, his wrestling career ended what, maybe 10 years ago, maybe less. I don't really know for sure, but he's really transitioned into this big kind of brand. He's, you know, 50 years old now, which is wild. I, I don't know if I think that's young or old. I'm not quite sure for like how I think of him. Cause I think he's this weird, almost ageless. He's always kind of looked the same way. He's this gigantic Hulk of a human. Um, but you know, it feels weird to have acting as a second career when wrestling is an acting sort of career anyway. Right. But I think that like, some people have really done it very successfully. Some people have done it not so successfully. Some people have done it with cameos and some people have, um, and then there's the rock who is just in the stratosphere all to himself as a, uh, someone that really, um, you know, has been so successful at, you know, I, he's, it's interesting. Cause like, it's not like his movies are the biggest box office blowout maybe save mm-hmm. for him kind of coming on to the fast and furious franchise but like i, I don't know uh, the movie rampage let's say that you know <laughs> based on a video game that was probably an 80 90 million dollar movie that probably made uh, 200 if that 180 you'll look that up right now like what's the, yeah like but like those are the types of movies he makes they make money He's very bankable, but it's not like he's, he's not Tom Cruise. He's not grossed grossed $428 million worldwide. Wow. How much was the budget on that? Uh, Let's see. 
I mean, not that that's 120 to 140 million. But I mean, that's great for fucking Rampage. Mm -hmm. Giant monkey movie. Yeah. Based on the stupid video game from 35 years ago, (laughs) which is uh, my son's favorite video game. Whenever we go to the barbershop, they have like a little standalone cabinet and all he wants to do is watch the person smash a he wants to smash a building and then he loves it when they get naked they oh. down cover them. <laughs> he loves it loves it it's his Beautiful. best favorite thing he loves it um, now, but go ahead uh sorry i was gonna say i'm, I'm just gonna transition to my second pick because it is yeah. also a wrestler turned actor but not Dwayne the rock johnson thank you uh my choice is uh someone who has arguably been in a bigger franchise than fast and the furious and that is dave batista yeah oh yeah uh, who transitioned for after wrestling to a career as basically playing Drax in the Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy movies, rest of the MCU, and basically he plays Drax in pretty much every role that he has, as far as I can tell. However, the reason I'm fascinated by him is unlike The Rock, who was a household name as a wrestler. Sure. Somebody who, even if you weren't a wrestling fan, you knew who The Rock was. Um, Dave Batista was somebody who was certainly a big top-of-the-line wrestler, but never, in my remembering of it, never reached that sort of critical mass of kind of crossing over into the public consciousness. And he never was someone who you looked at and said, that guy's got charisma just oozing out of him like The Rock does. I mean, we saw The Rock doing wrestling stuff. It was like, okay, he's got so much charisma. You can totally see how he can transition to a a Hollywood career. Yeah. I mean, Batista was just a big hulking, you know, set of muscles on a stick that was just had, was mainly his main emotion was just angry. And that's what he had. So you wouldn't have pegged him as being guy who goes on to be one of the cornerstones of one of the biggest franchises in movie history. And maybe, look, maybe he got, I think he got very lucky with the role that he got cast in. Because Drax is a very one-note type of character. He, by definition, his whole he has a very set way that he approaches the world. He has a very set way that you have to play him. And he's great at it. He does a great job of that sort of just not getting any subtlety, not understanding any contextual clues, and just plowing through life like a like a bulldozer. He's great at that. But I mean, if he would have if he would have been cast as Star Lord, I think we would have had <laughs> <some> problems. <laughs> is all I'm saying. Yeah, Dave Bautista is the, was the linchpin in my theory that. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy succeeded so well because it was the Princess Bride. And <laughs> there's another wrestler in the Princess Bride who who basically plays a irony-free um, doofus, you know. Yes, um, Wallace Shawn. Yeah, no Wallace Shawn. <laughs> um, I, do, I do think um, um, Groot is more akin to who Andre the Giant was in uh, the Princess Bride. But I think the role was custom made for him. And, and as I suspect um, um, uh, Rob Reiner had to do in The Princess Bride, there's a lot of no Dave, say it like this, coming from the director um, to Dave Bautista. And he's smart enough to just kind of go along with it and do what the director says. But yeah, I totally understand. I feel like with 
feel like Dwayne Johnson used wrestling like David Bowie used music. A, a way to take his charm and persona and sell it to the world. And it wasn't always about the, uh, the medium. It was about his identity, how, how he could kind of... Uh, in films, he pretty much plays the same dude over and over again, but it's still, it's just a platform for him. But yeah, Bautista, I think in seeing in Glass Onion, there are some moments where he plays a little bit of some emotional notes that are a little bit more um, nuanced than the kind of irony um, uh, inept tracks but yeah i totally totally agree <laughs> totally. I think it's just fascinating to me that he is he is far from the person you would have circled as next hollywood superstar when you saw him in a wrestling ring or cutting promos or things like that just strange how these things work man you just happen to have the right look and be able to pull off the right 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 role and boom you've got a whole career in front of you yeah and i think he he pretty much did everything but wrestle but vin diesel as groot in that movie probably has the same range as a Bautista. <laughs> right. Luckily he doesn't have to do anything other than say, I am group. Well, that's fun. Okay. Uh, so dudes, we're at halftime and, um, you know, I'm just going to use this uh, place to invite again to see if anybody wants to uh, suggest a new topic. Um, we'd love to have some guests on the show. We'd love to hear what your suggestions would be for topics. So send them in and then, you know, download rate and review past episodes. I think we're just about everywhere. You get podcasts. We love to hear your opinions. And so now Michael is going to share his third choice. Uh, my third choice is the wrestler known as Medusa, a.k.a. Alondra Blaze, oh, a.k.a. who transitioned to a role as a monster truck driver driving oh. the monster truck Medusa. Didn't stray too far from the formula there, um, which I... <laughs> It's funny, monster trucks and wrestling always felt like they went hand in hand to me. There's a certain sort of um, crowd that it appeals to both. But then also I have like these very distinct memories of like watching like Saturday morning wrestling when it used to be on at like 10 or 11 o'clock on whatever channel it was. And it was either preceded or followed by uh, some sort of, you know, uh, monster truck rally. You know, Gravedigger was going up against Bigfoot. And I can't remember the names of any other monster trucks. Those are the only two that right. existed at the time. But um, she started um, kind of in her post-wrestling career around uh, in the, like, the late 90s. She started um, training with a driver. And then within a couple of years, started winning like um, freestyle competitions. I guess there's kind of two main um, monster truck uh, exhibitions. There's like races and then there's freestyle. And then um, the high dive is the hardest one, though. That's the third, <laughs> where they have to drive all the way up those little um, the ladder and then the thing. That one's really tough. But There's the um, compulsory where you have to do the triple sow cow. Or oh, you know. yeah. <laughs> I like when they get just like free drive. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, they're just having fun at that point. Yeah, you know, just Everest, there's no more real medals to give out. <laughs> and they're just out there and they're just doing their thing and they start doing that slow clap and they get the people to clap. That's, <laughs> that's good stuff. But um, she ended up winning the 2004, uh, I got it written down, World Monster Truck. I don't know the name of it. I got to look up the name. Monster Jam World. She won the Monster Jam World Finals in um, 
freestyle. And then the following year was the first uh, woman to win the Monster Jam World Finals in racing. So she like went to the top of uh, the game of driving a, you know, a truck with giant wheels. That's and I cool. think that's just awesome and uh, so weird for like for especially for a wrestler. I don't know, Richard. I was never a WCW guy. Right. I, I don't remember her very much as Medusa or as Alondra Blaze in the WWF. So I don't really know her that well. You know, back in the kind of late 80s, early 90s, women's wrestling wasn't as, um, I don't know, re- respected probably as it is today, where it's kind of on par with what the men are doing in terms of I don't know, just the entire thing, you know, it's sometimes they just, it would be like, oh, here's now that kind of low point, like the late nineties, early two thousands. It's the bikini mud wrestling match. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then that it, period where it was weird, but before that it was just like, oh, here's, uh, you know, kind of the Cindy Lauper rock and wrestling, scary, Sherry. Fabulous moolah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know her as a wrestler too much, but I'm, um, intrigued by her as a monster truck driver that's pretty cool that's pretty cool i wonder uh if uh you know what seems like some of the persons who we've discussed found a niche kind of found this kind of opening there it was almost to their i know it's never to your benefit it's always a challenge to enter a world that is mostly um um you're mostly blockaded from joining but it does seem like uh ventura um, kind of realized that there was this niche that needed that could be filled and a big personality needed to fill it. So I wonder if that was true with monster trucks that they, they needed someone to, to, to be, to be kind of break the, the gender barrier there. And she was ready to do it. That's cool. All right, Richard, what you, what do you got? All right. So we've been talking a lot about um, second careers of people who became famous through wrestling and then, use that fame to be able to do something else. I'd like to talk about someone who had a second career throughout the majority of their wrestling career. Oh, because especially back going before the eighties wrestling was, it was hard to pay the bills doing wrestling. And a lot of even the famous wrestlers had side hustles and second jobs and things that they did. And one of the ones I find most fascinating is Jim Myers, who you may know as George, the animal steel. If you remember him from the 80s in WWF, he was this kind of hulking, bald. He wound up playing Tor Johnson mm-hmm. in Ed Wood. If that gives you a visual on what George the Animal Steel looked like. Had a green tongue, hairy back, and his animal character would be... I know you're. it sounds like I'm describing myself here. I'm not. <laughs> it, he was just this sort of mindless, imbecile, wild man who would you know, eat the turnbuckles and tear up the turnbuckles and and do stuff like that. Turns out for the majority of his wrestling career until the mid-80s, he was a high school teacher in Michigan. He was a uh, physical education teacher. He had graduated from college and actually had a master's in in teaching. And... And would just, you know, he would go out on the weekends and hit the road. And when it wasn't 
and then in the summer when he was off at school, working either as the masked student or later on as George the Animal Steel. But most of his kids, because this is before wrestling was on television and it was just, you know, a huge national deal. Most of his kids never knew that he was a professional wrestler. Wow. That's it wasn't cool. until he went to WWF in the 80s and then became kind of this big celebrity in terms of wrestling that he wound up being able to make enough money where he could quit teaching. And he loved teaching and, and, and said that he was reluctant, I think, to give it up. But eventually the money got to be just too much for him to be able to turn down. Hmm. And I just love this idea of just what a split personality you must have to be able to, on one hand, be this completely like wild, idiot, with reckless abandon sort of character that you have to play day in, day out, you know, on the weekends and during the summers and when you're not at school. But then when you're at school, you have to be this kind of quiet authority figure. And everyone says, everyone said he was one of the nicest guys in wrestling. And I just love that dichotomy. And I think that just sort of goes to show that, you know, these guys and, and women are very adept at, at being able to live these dual lives, especially back in the, back in the days when wrestling before the veil was lifted and it was acknowledged that wrestling was predetermined. Um, that must've been wild just to sort of like live this double life and just hope that nobody went, Hey, didn't I see you at the Coliseum? <laughs> Mr. S- Mr. Mr. Myers. <laughs> Do you think if you were teaching a more academic-based subject, it would have been more challenging. He's teaching gym, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, he was a physical and PE teacher. Yeah. Uh, man, I bet that nobody acted up in that class. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, everyone climbed that rope when he said to climb that rope, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Or else he would eat the rope. He would eat the rope. <laughs> he was underneath you just chomping it like a, a, a string of spaghetti. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, we know wrestling is a variety of you know, theater, you know, if somebody was playing Hamlet on the weekend and being a school teacher, it probably wouldn't be that, that uh, shocking to us. But yeah, that's the performance aspect of, of wrestling is so physically demanding and, and requires so much um, of uh, a uh, combative type of kind of attitude. If not, if it's not even, it's real war, you know, faking it. But wow, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. I want to see that movie. <laughs> That. That's something that I, I I'm pretty sure Kevin James James has already yeah. optioned that script, <laughs> and I didn't realize he was like 50 when he finally started wrestling for WWF back in the 80s and became like wow. a big success. And he talked about that that you know that it was a young man's game, and he was in the ring with these guys who are in their 20s in their prime physical condition, and here he was in his 50s finally deciding to go on the road full time and and make a career out of it when. That's something most guys did when they were twenty. Holy smokes! What a what an interesting story. Um, you remember the band or the group Peaches and Herb? Yes, I guess Herb Herb was a bailiff throughout the entire career, <laughs> and there was about seventeen different Peaches. Like, I knew there were. <laughs> I knew the Peaches was just like a menudo thing where they just dropped people into the role. Yeah, yeah. But Herb, whenever he was off the tour he, he was a bailiff in philadelphia or something something like that huh. Huh. yeah 
Okay, uh, Winfield, what is your fourth choice? Um, you kind of alluded to this um, just a second ago, Jeff. Um, Diamond Dallas Page is my fourth choice, oh, yeah. uh, wow. where he's had a second career um, as like uh, someone who developed a, like uh, yoga for men mm-hmm. or tried to kind of lift the veil of yoga being something that only women do by doing his um, uh, DDP yoga or I think it was called like regular guy yoga before he kind of rebranded it. But um, he kind of started uh, doing yoga to help treat like the physical nature of what he had kind of suffered. His injuries in the ring caused a lot of like back problems for him. And so he kind of went on to be kind of like an entrepreneur within like this uh, kind of niche element of like trying to be like a fitness instructor sort of guy or yoga instructor. Um, kind of marketing towards men and towards healing and towards healing like these very physical um, injuries. And I think that he was like one of these guys too that was also um, very religious. So there's like a kind of a faith sort of element to his teachings and his, uh, you know, trying to get people back and running. Um, I think he was really very noteworthy for... um, his friendship and his um, uh, uh, trying to help uh, kind of a broken down wrestler, Jake the Snake Roberts, in like mm-hmm. the resurrection or something like that of Jake Roberts, which was like a documentary that kind of chronicled him helping out his friend um, who was going through all like these bouts of alcoholism, but also like just trying to deal with the pain of these guys that land on their back, you know, a hundred times a day and get thrown around and smashed and clobbered and whatever. And I think that, um, for someone to, um, kind of be transformed by their own pain, um, and want to help others who have gone through the similar thing and help people and, you know, kind of step into a role that, um, probably at first was very uncomfortable, you know, um, there's so much like a, this weird toxic masculinity that kind of still lingers and, uh, you know, kind of is pervasive in society. And for a guy to be like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And then uh, maybe I'll rebrand it as like a masculine sort of version of this thing. But basically you're still doing child's pose and butterfly yeah. pose and all these different things that you're just like, oh, all right, now it's the, uh, I don't know, <laughs> scorpion deathlock uh, mm. pose. It's like you're you're doing downward dog or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that's kind of neat that he uh, got to a point in his career where, uh, uh, I you know, I can't be in the ring throwing my body around, but I can help people um, either who have done wrestling or like all the other physical jobs that people do, whether they're, uh, I don't know, lugging boxes and doing things that, that this sort of thing is um, – uh, I don't know. Helpful. seems like a, Oh yeah. What a more like uh, to, to be able to uh, have something save you um, from, I, cause he was seriously debilitated, I think. And I know Jake the snake was too. Like, yeah. Jake like, the snake basically credits him with saving his life. Cause not yeah. only was he crippled, basically he was also, you know, deeply addicted to drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And he I looked it up today. I couldn't believe that Jake the Snake Roberts is still alive. Alive and still doing wrestling stuff. He's managed, he was managing an AEW for a while. I, I cannot believe it. I was like, of course, I, I was like, oh God, what, what year did he die? And I was like, 
still alive. Still alive. Holy moly. I yeah, he the... basically moved in with DDP, and DDP basically, through the yoga and sort of personal sort of guidance, got him clean and sober, got his body working properly again, and and yeah, just really kind of turned his life around. Yeah, what an amazing, what amazing thing! Because essentially, you're, you're it's like working with, doing things to help uh, uh, war war veterans or persons with PTSD. That's just. It's, it's it's incredible the the spiritual aspects of or the i guess they're spiritual the holistic aspects of the of yoga i think got to be an amazing thing for somebody who has you know abused disconnected themselves with from their body with substances in order to withstand the abuse that they have to give to their body so wow what a what a cool what a cool thing to to give to the world and to, to kind of, it's almost like when they try to sell foreign food, like I think on The Simpsons, they were joking that uh, pita was pocket bread. <laughs> it's almost like you're trying to sell something, make something seem less scary and mystical in order to get people to do this thing that's good for them. So right. that's wonderful. Richard, did you have one more? I have one more. Okay. Okay. And it is a, a part-time wrestler, full-time manager. Um, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Known through the 80s and 90s for his uh, bullhorn that he would use to yell at his 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 charges opponents, mm-hmm. and also smash them with occasionally. <laughs> but his his secret talent was music. Oh. Um, people may not know this, but he was in a band called the Gentries in the 60s. Oh, yeah. yeah, and you might know them from the million selling record "Keep On Dancing." Okay. And he was one of the singers in the Gentries when they had that big, huge hit single. And uh, the leader of the group, uh, the wonderfully named Larry Raspberry, wound up leaving the group and he took over as the lead singer. And they had some minor hits. They actually released their version of Neil Young's Cinnamon Girl before Neil Young's version was released as a single. Hmm. And you know what? It's not bad. It's really pretty good. And even after going into the the wrestling world, Jimmy Hart kept his uh, kind of finger in the music world as well, specifically composing the theme songs for a lot of the wrestlers during in WWF during the 80s and 90s, including the Honky Tonk Man, one of my personal favorites. If you remember, he had this sort of like rockabilly Elvis look. And so the, mm-hmm. the song was this very rockabilly influenced sort of song. And perhaps most notably, Shawn Michaels' entrance theme, Sexy Boy. <laughs> one, of the, one of the most embarrassing slash greatest wrestling songs ever. And he, was also, awesome. and he was also a member of the wrestling boot band. When noted, when noted racist Hulk Hogan created an album called in 1995 called Hulk Rules, he was part of the band. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Jimmy Hart, a, a real Renaissance man. Mm-hmm. Do you think see any? Uh, you know, it's a performance. You know, um, do you see any connections between performing and music and, and wrestling? Well, I think the, I think musicians, especially singers have to be sort of these larger in life personas. Yeah. So I think when, especially when you're a manager and your whole job is to make someone else look great, 
mm-hmm. you have to be sort of this big braggadocio kind of big talking. Yeah. You, know, you got to have a lot of ego. I think not just, you have to project that onto that character that you're doing mm-hmm. when you're managing. So I think particularly being a manager, there's a lot of connections with that and being a performer in a previous life. Yeah. Had you shown me a photo of David Lee Roth and I had not known he was in a band called Van Halen, I would have guessed that he was a wrestler from. <laughs> oh, sure. He, he, yeah. <laughs> him, and, him and Mickey Rourke from the wrestler nowadays. There's uh, yeah. <laughs> there's some similarities there in the look. That's for Absolutely. sure. Well, I think I brought them, him up on a, one of these podcasts before and that's musician turns i guess this was the topic was wrestlers not persons who worked in wrestling but um when i had learned bob mold had worked um as a writer for wcw yeah yeah (laughs) that was and this story talks about i think he's in like he was working there for like a week and he has to pitch um bits to hulk hogan (laughs) and he said Hulkster was kind of looking at him like, who the fuck are you? I don't yeah. have no idea. And then later on, somebody said, no, Hulk, he was, he's a, he's a touring entertainer. He's got, you know, records that hit the chop top of these college charts and stuff like that. Afterwards, Hulk was, was cool with him. But, uh, um, for, for somebody to kind of understand that, especially in that era that he was doing it, this was a way for Bob mold to ascend in the ranks of entertainment. Like he'd been playing kind of, small clubs and things like that for a long time. But I imagine working in WCW, um, maybe it wasn't WWE or whatever, but it was still probably bigger than the, the venues that he'd been playing. playing oh, sure. In. So, yeah. Well, this was a fun topic. Um, let's choose, let's go with, uh, uh, I ain't got time to bleed or lead as your governor, Jesse Ventura. Um, and I think um, Dave Bautista, because um, he's, he's, pretty prominent and Dwayne the Rock Johnson pretty prominent and I I maybe just because of the amount of um I really liked the kind of the second act story that was represented by um Jim Myers George Animal Steel so I think that's our is that our slate that's our slate that's that's our that's that's our card for tonight that's our card (laughs) and also also Michael will be wrestling a bear later on oh my god Um, what uh, when, when are? I can't wait um, <laughs> for the North Hollywood. I thought I was going to be watching the show The Bear. The Bear. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, I was going to uh, do that for two hours. Uh, this has been the Mount Rushmore of the thing that we do. I am always Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. 